title of today's sermon is, Are We in the Last Days? Are We in the Last Days? There are three reasons why I'm addressing this now. Here's the first one. Come on. We just finished 2020. (laughs) Did it feel a little bit apocalyptic? Was it a little bit like being in the last days? But hey, we are now in 2021. Yay! We made it. Of course, remember, Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may hold. So who knows what's coming at us in 2021. But hey, we made it through 2020. We just finished that year. So we're thinking about, was that an indicator? Was all of that, is that a sign? Are we in the last days? Here's a second reason why this now. Because people are talking. People are talking. I'm hearing people talk. In person, I'm hearing people talk. And on the web, I'm hearing people talk. What was that? Are we in the last days? There's a heightened sense of possibility. There's more conversation about, are we in the last times? People are writing to me. People are talking to me with that question. People are telling me, I think we're at 11 o'clock. I think we're in the last hour. We're going to see that phrase in the scripture today, by the way. So people are talking. So we just finished 2020. People are talking. Here's a third reason why we're talking about this today. I don't know if you realize this, but end times stuff, which is properly eschatology, the study of last things, last being eschatos in Greek. New Testament was written in Greek. So eschatology, the study of what the Bible teaches us about last things, is very important in Scripture. You might be surprised to know how often God in his word gives us portions on last days, last things, eschatology. To go back to the Old Testament for just a few examples, in the book of Daniel, we have chapter 7 with these beasts, and it's all eschatological. And in Daniel, we have chapter 9 with these 70 weeks that are prophesied for the destruction of Jerusalem and what's involved in that. And then we go to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Great chunks of Ezekiel are eschatological, especially chapter 36. Go check it out on your own. And then we come into the New Testament, and in Matthew chapter 24, we have an entire long chapter that is known as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives when he gave it, and the entire chapter is about last things, Jesus teaching us what to expect, what the signs of the times will be, and so on. It takes up a big space in Matthew's gospel. How about the book of Revelation? 22 chapters. My understanding of the book is it works like this. The first three chapters are on their days, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And then at chapter four and verse one, he goes to future days. I'll read it for you. It's not up on the slide. After this, after those first three chapters, after dealing with the seven churches of Asia Minor, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. What must take place after this? And then we get 
chapter after chapter after chapter, all the way down to chapter 22, of last times doctrine, last times teaching. One of you suggested to me not long ago, could we have a series through the book of Revelation? And I replied, that depends. Do you want anybody to keep coming to Cornerstone or not? Because I don't know if I could handle that. I'm not sure how I'd do with that. That's going to require more skill than I got. Then we go with Paul to First and Second Thessalonians, probably the earliest, maybe Galatians beats them, but earlier books of the entire New Testament. Paul had been to their city, Thessalonica. He had preached the gospel. A bunch of people believed. He got chased out of town. It is now believed that we're just several months later. He's several cities away, and he writes back to them, and one whole chapter of his first book to them, and one whole chapter of his second book to them, and the end of every chapter in the first book it ends with something about the second coming of the Lord Jesus and teaching on eschatology. And the interesting thing here is these were baby believers and he writes to them and says now concerning the the things that are to come you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief and then he launches into a chapter of that but he'd only been with them a very short time they were brand new babies in Christ and already obviously he had taught them eschatology He didn't think, this is a matter we'll wait for 15 years when they're really well-grown in Scripture, when they're really mature, we'll bring it out. No, from the very beginning, with his fledging baby Christians and church, he made it an important topic in their lives. So this is why we're addressing this now. We just finished 2020. People are talking, and end-time stuff is very important in Scripture. Now, also by way of introduction, and I am remembering the fact that last week I complained about preachers that spend too long in their introduction and said it's like a huge porch on a little house, and I have a rather large porch today, but I just want you to know the house spills into next Sunday, all right? So it's a bigger house than you think, not disproportionate to the porch, I hope. Also, by way of introduction, let me give you just two important qualifiers before we jump in, and I do think they are important, and the first one is this. This topic, in my opinion, this topic calls for, this topic deserves, this topic requires of us a healthy dose of what people call cognitive humility, being humble about your reasoning abilities, being humble about your talent at understanding the book of Revelation, being humble about your ability to get all of your theology and all your Bible interpretation right. Somebody says, but Pastor Steve, this is the Word of God, and the Word, don't you believe the Word of God is clear? Yes, that's the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. I do believe Scripture is clear. The problem is this right here isn't. This right here is very touched by the fall. We believe in total depravity, total not meaning I'm as bad as I can be, total meaning it reaches every part of me, including my brain, and we don't reason well this side of the fall. We very easily, very quickly fall into logical biases, which keep us from thinking well. Uh, We need a healthy dose of cognitive humility, the kind Paul exhibits in 1 Corinthians 13. Look at it with me, please, where Paul writes, for we know, he's talking about what we, this side of glory, have. We know in part, and we prophesy, Paul is a prophet, we prophesy in part. We only have partial knowledge of a lot of things right now. Oh no, I understand the whole Bible. That's partial. That's partial. 
We know in part and we prophesy in part. He says again a little later in chapter 13, for now, this side of glory, we see in a mirror dimly. Now, mirrors in their days weren't like mirrors in our days. Mirrors in our day, you get a pretty sharp image. You have good lighting. Not in their day. Most people didn't even have a mirror, and if you had one, it was this blurry, polished piece of metal, and you could kind of see, but it was all wobbly, like a circus funny mirror. And Paul says, uses that analogy and says, when you're understanding Scripture nowadays, you're just seeing in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. And he adds a little bit more about that. Uh, Now I know in part. Now that's Paul standing there talking to the Corinthians in the first century. And he says, you want to know what? Me, Paul, with all I know, with all God's given me, with all my studies. Now I know in part. That's cognitive humility. And when you come to a doctrine like eschatology and the total teaching of the Bible on it, you've got to bring a healthy dose of, I realize I'm only going to get part of this. I don't trust my brain. I don't trust my reasoning faculties. So he says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. How fully is that, Paul? Even as I have been fully known. So we need that. Peter chimes in, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Peter's giving evidence to a healthy dose of cognitive humility. He doesn't say, I can perfectly get Paul, I get it. I've got it all worked out. My eschatology is perfect. I got it all correct. I know God's word. No, no, no. Peter, who wrote some of God's word, says, when I read Paul, I'm, not all, I'm scratching my head, and I'm not always sure. What's he saying? So if you ever feel that way, you're in good company. If you never feel that way, you're messed up. You need some cognitive humility like Peter had, the kind Paul calls for in Romans 12. I hope you don't think I'm belaboring this. You might, but it's a, an important thing. In Romans 12 and verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, which was, by the way, great grace. He's evidencing humility. He could have said, I, the greatest apostle on the planet. But no, he says, by the grace, it's just grace given to me. Whatever I am, it's just by the grace of God. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, why does Paul say that? Because we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. So Paul says, don't do that, but rather think with sober judgment, a sober, biblically realistic evaluation of my own cognitive abilities leaves me saying, help, Lord, The spirit's willing, but the flesh and the brain are weak. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So that's the kind of cognitive humility I'm calling for. That's the kind we need when we come to the topic of eschatology. There are Christians who alike honor the Lord Jesus, have high views of Scripture, take Scripture seriously, study their brains out, prayerfully study their brains out, meditate on the word, 
and who wind up in different positions on eschatology. What does that tell us? Scripture's not as clear as we think it is, and we're not as good at thinking as we think we are, and we ought to exercise a big dose of brotherly love and cognitive humility. This is exemplified so wonderful, so wonderfully by a man that I've mentioned to you a number of times. I'll mention him again now. He is my favorite living theologian. His name is John Frame. He's now retired. But this John Frame, this seasoned, eminent, world-class theologian, I've read through most, if not almost all of his books now. I'm finishing the last one I know of that I haven't read. It's big. And I came across something many pages ago that tickled me, and I took a while this week to find them again, and I found it. And here's what he said. Somebody, he, he imagines somebody asking him what his view is on eschatology. And he says, my eschatology? Through my career, I have avoided the millennial question like the plague. By the way, that has new meaning for us, that like the plague phrase. For the first time ever, we really understand that phrase, avoiding the plague. And if, if an eminent world-class theologian like John Frame says, I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole, you ought to have enough humility to say, hmm, I might not be able to feel like I've got that one exactly figured out, or at least not all the details. Let me just pause and say, lest this wouldn't be clear. So in this doctrine, like in other doctrines, there are core parts of it, and then there are less core parts of it. So when we come to eschatology, there are core doctrines that you need to hold that are absolutely clear in Scripture that all believers with a high view of Scripture agree on. We believe there's a second coming. We believe there's a judgment. We believe there's eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. These are core cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith when it comes to eschatology. All believers of all sizes and stripes and shapes agree on them. And at Cornerstone, that's where we take our stand. We unite around the core doctrines of the Christian faith, and we, Romans 14, receive one another, but not to disputes about doubtful things on the less core doctrines. So the, are you amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, or windmillennial, windmill? Amill, pre-mill, post-mill, windmill. Windmill means you're blown about everywhere. It depends on who you, you talk to. You all, wake up. <laughs> I'm trying hard up here. You got to do your part. So there are all kinds of details. And you, what's the tribulation? And who, when does Jesus come relative to it? Who's the Antichrist? And all these things. Brothers and sisters in Christ need to be able to have have fun debates on those things and help one another understand scripture better and disagree and embrace and go on in the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's how we work here. I, do I have Romans 14, 1 to go up? Maybe not. So this topic calls for a healthy dose of cognitive humility. Here's a second thing it calls for. This church unites around the core doctrines of eschatology. Well, I just gave you that point, so it's time to move on. That was the porch. Enough introductory matter. Let's go into the house. And we're going to proceed with questions and answers, and I hope to make it through two questions and their answers today, but we'll see. So here's the first question, plain and simple. Are we in the last times? And what are the signs of the last times? The dual question, but we're going to track through passages that deal with both of those. Are we in the last times? Are these the last times? 
And what are the signs given to us in Scripture that would indicate, yes, you are in the last time? Or better, what are the, what are the ways that Scripture characterizes that period of time in the Bible called the last times? What will we see in those last times? So that's the first question. And just to give you a peek ahead, the second question will be, are things getting progressively worse throughout this age? So the first question, which is dual, are we in the last times and what are the signs of the last times? Now, if you were paying any attention last week in the sermon, you know from some time we spent in Hebrews that I believe the Bible clearly, unequivocally indicates we are in the last times. In fact, we have been in the last times ever since Christ came, died for our sins, was buried, rose, appeared to many, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, poured out the Holy Spirit from that whole package of time right there, all the way till now, and all the way till Christ returns. The Bible identifies that entire period as the last days, the last times the last hour. So yes, I believe we are in the last days. Siri, I'm not talking to you. (sighs) Could you hear her? It sounded like she was saying the last times. Now she's worried. So let's go back to that passage in Hebrews and we'll note what it says about the last days or last times. And we'll note some characterizations of them. Hebrews chapter one and verse two. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, pause there. Where was the author? He was back in the first century in the early church. He's writing to other Christians who are there with him, and he says to them, we are in the last days. These are the last days. God spoke by prophets in the former age. Now in this age, which we're calling the last days, he has spoken to us through a son. So are we in the last days? Yes. If we had no other passage, that would be enough. This entire time period is called the last days. What do we expect to see in these last days? Well, we get a hint of it in that verse that you're looking at. In these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. Here's a characterization. Here's some of the character of the last days. Here's what happens in the last days. Gospel preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. The prior days he was foretold, but not by the name of Jesus. We didn't know about his incarnation, et cetera, et cetera. But now here's the character of these age, gospel preaching. The name of Jesus Christ is made known. So that's a start. What are the signs of the last days? How do we know if we're in the last days? Oh, we are. The Bible says so. What are the last days like? Gospel preaching. That's what we're on the planet for, gospel preaching. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2. Jesus appears, he ascends, he pours out the Holy Spirit, his people speak in tongues, the opposition party says they're drunk, Peter explains, Acts 2 verse 15, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, and here's his proof, since it is only the third hour of the day, what time is that? 9 a.m., people don't get drunk at 9 a.m., I guess, 
So it's not that. It's not what you're saying. Well, what is it? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, Joel was 900s BC. So Peter's saying, put your finger on Joel, put your finger on his prophecy, the part I'm going to show you, and this is that. The thing you just witnessed is what Joel said we would witness. Here's what Joel says. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares, or in the last days, pardon me, very important. And in the last days, Joel is telling us, God through the mouth of Joel, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So Peter says, 900 BC, Joel, put your finger on it, the prophecy, that is being fulfilled right now. What does Peter call the days? What does Joel call them? They are the last days. So in that cluster of time, death, burial, resurrection, appearances, ascension, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the last days began. Joel told us, Peter quotes it and says, this is what's happening now. We are in the last days, and God said he would do what you just saw. He would pour out his spirit on all flesh. By the way, this is an aside, but it's a nice one. Uh, what are some of the differences between Old Testament and New Testament? In the Old Testament, you had what I might call, I'll just make up a word, it's my word, a, a, an eyedropper dripping of the Holy Spirit. And by contrast, in the New Testament era, you have an outpouring. They got the drip, we get the pour. And not only that, but on all flesh. They got the dripping on one little sliver of land about the size of New Jersey with one little people called the Hebrew people, and it was theirs and theirs alone, no one else on the planet. But now we get the poor, and the poor is on all flesh. That's a major difference between the former days and these last days. So what's a characterization of the last days? You have the presence and the power of the Spirit of God drawing people, convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgment and drawing them to the Lord Jesus Christ that they may believe. So Peter says, this is that. Let's go on, Acts 2, 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm sorry, uh, the, the end of that verse or the next one. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So what's he saying? He's putting bookmarkers on the last days. They began with the outpouring of the Spirit of God that Joel spoke about from 900 BC. And when do the last days end? When's the other bookmark? It ends when the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now, I'm going to argue that that's the last day. Other believers might have some other days in between there. We can debate that. But certainly you agree there's a last day. And I think that was the, that's the one Peter's referring to, in, in my opinion. That's the one uh, Joel is referring to, in my opinion. And what else will happen? Acts, 20, Acts 2, verses 20 and 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What should we expect to see 
What should we expect to experience in this time period called the last days? Gospel preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, an outpouring of the Spirit on every people and tribes and tongue, and people calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved. How do I know I'm in the last days? Because I'm seeing that. These are the things that characterize the age. There will be more to come. Don't be too anticlimaxed. Like, you mean that's all it is? That's, that's a lot. But there's more. Paul chimes in in 2 Timothy 3. Interesting passage. You'll like this one, I think. He says, but understand this. That in the last days, now don't think that Paul is saying, way down there long after I'm gone and years and generations of... No, he's telling those people what to expect in the days in which they live. And you'll see the things he tells them to expect are things that have been here this whole time. He says, understand this, that in the last, time, last days, there will come times, the word could also be translated seasons, of difficulty. Just pause there. So what Paul is saying is, things will get a little worse, then it'll calm down. Then there's a bad time. Then it gets a little bit better. Where y'all want to put last year? Yeah, for us, that was one of the bad times, right? So things are going to get better and things are going to get worse. What was it during World War II? That was a bad time. What was it when Nero, the emperor, when Paul was writing these words, started burning Christians and hanging them burning in his gardens to illuminate the gardens for his parties by night? Those were bad times. So Paul's saying, I want you to know this. In these last days, the one that his hearers lived in, the ones we are still living in, there will come seasons of difficulty. So it waxes and wanes, it gets better and it gets worse all the way down through the age. This is what you can expect. And then he explains why there will be seasons of difficulty. For, because, here's why. Because people will be lovers of self. And that creates difficulty. And you don't have to wait till the very, 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 very end, right before Jesus comes back, to find people who are lovers of themselves. Amen? Yes. Human nature has not changed one bit. I get such a kick out of it. From time to time, for whatever reason, somebody says to me, people back then were different. And they were, and we are, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, kids. That made the list. Ungrateful, unholy, and I'll stop it there, but it goes on and on and on. So Paul says, here's what I want you to know. We're in the last times. Here's what they look like. It gets better. It gets worse. Here's what makes it worse when it's worse. It's arrogant, selfish people. What made World War II? One very arrogant, selfish man. So we're in the end times. Here's what they will look like. And then he goes on in chapter 4 in verse 1 to say, now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, again, don't think he's going all eschatological on us. He's saying we're in the latter times. You'll notice the things that are happening in latter times in this verse, were happening then and have happened again and again and again throughout this entire church age. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, these are the latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's a very important characteristic of the age, apostasy. 
Some people who said, I believe on the Lord Jesus and he is my savior, turn their backs on him and don't come back. That was happening in that era. It happened with Judas. It was happening with a lot of people to whom the book of Hebrews is written. Some from among you, trampling underfoot the son of God, counting the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified as common. This is going to be a characteristic of the age. People turning from the Christ upon whom they professed belief. They'll depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Apostasy is one of the signs. Peter chimes in, 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Peter can't stay out. Peter's got to talk. Peter's like the kid in class who's always got his hand up. Ooh, 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 I know, I know, call on me. And Peter's right now, I know some eschatology too. Read me, read me. And Peter chimes in. I'm making fun of him. He was a great guy. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. He's explaining to people then why they were hearing scoffing. He's explaining to people all down through the age, there will be scoffers, here's why you're hearing them. They are following their own sinful desires, next verse, they will say, here's their scoffing, hey Johnny Christian, I hear you say Jesus is coming back. Well, it's been a long time and he hasn't come back yet. And they're going to mock and they're going to scoff. Where is the promise of his coming? And Peter's explaining to them, this is why this is happening to you. And it's going to be a characteristic of the age. People are going to mock us. People are going to depart the faith they once proclaimed. The gospel is going to be preached. There'll be wheat coming up and tares coming up. There's going to be believers and non-believers. Let them grow together till the end. Then there's going to be a place of burning, and there's going to be a place of, of a barn, God's barn. But there are going to be these scoffers. John chimes in, 1 John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour. Several people have said to me recently, oh man, I feel like it's 11 o'clock. Well, you're right. It's been 11 o'clock for 2,000 years. This is what God calls the last hour. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says. Children, in John's day, it is the last hour. And what happens in the last hour? Here's some new information that characterizes the age. You have heard that Antichrist is coming. I believe there's one who will come. That's the next sermon. That's in the next sermon, part of the next sermon. Who is the Antichrist? What about him? You've heard that Antichrist is coming, and so now many Antichrists have come, like Paul's scoffers, like Richard Dawkins, like anybody who says the gospel, that's ridiculous, that's stupid. You can't believe in that. Believing in God, how foolish are you? Antichrist. There are many, 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 many Antichrists, little a, and I believe there will be one final Antichrist, big A. But John says it's the last hour, and you can know that because there are Antichrists. So there are people opposing the faith. There are people becoming apostate because maybe of that opposition to the faith. These are characteristics of our our day. One more passage on this. How am I doing? Bad. This might be three sermons. Yeah, it's all right. 
It's okay. Then that makes the porch look even more proportionate. We're going with the Lord Jesus to Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, and we read in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? He'd been talking about some things. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Tell us when will these things be? Here's what they had just done. They were sitting there looking at the temple. This is the second temple. First temple was destroyed at the time of the Babylonian captivity. Israel came back into their land and under Zerubbabel, they rebuilt the temple. That's the second temple. It had decayed and been somewhat destroyed so that by the time of King Herod that day, uh, it became Herod's temple because he liked building architecture and naming things after himself. So he said, I'll do a favor to you Jewish people. And he owed them some favors. He owed them the return for some favors. I'll build you a temple. So they were looking at Herod's temple, a beautiful big rebuild of Zerubbabel's temple, the second temple. And Jesus said to them, you see this? Yeah, we see that, Lord. He says, everything's coming down. Not one stone shall remain on another. It's going to be destroyed. Somebody's going to raise with a Z this temple. And so they asked him, when's that going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, they asked two questions. When's the temple coming down? And the second question, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They thought those were one thing. Jesus is going to answer in a way that can apply to the near, to them, and in a way that can apply to the far, the later. All right? So here's what Jesus says, verse 4. Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Apostasy. Scoffers. Mockers. The Richard Dawkins of our era. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name. Religious frauds, religious hucksters saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So what's a characteristic of the age? False prophets, false teachers, people who want to lead you astray from Christ. What are some other characteristics? Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do we have to wait till the very, very, very end to hear about wars? Can you even find a time in the entire history of planet Earth when there have not been wars? Someone said, peace is that brief period of time when humanity is preparing for its next war. I don't think there's a time where there is no war. Da. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I wasn't making any point there. Right? I thought it was kind of cool. We were just communicating. All right. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Don't go, oh my, there's a war. It must be the very end of the end. No, Jesus says the entire time period, the entire age is going to be characterized by war. It's going to be life on the planet. There's going to be war. There's going to be rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. 24-7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and natural disasters. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places and COVID-19. So there's going to be calamity and natural disasters all the way down through the age. Great big volcano comes out out of the ocean. Kaboom! Krakatoa and blows its top and there's hot lava running everywhere and people are going, is this the end of the world? Jesus says, no, 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 that's just a sign of the age. 
Those things are going to happen again and again and again and again, all the way down through the age. It's not the end yet. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. So we're in the birth pains. There's labor, there's birth pains through the entire period. And then he says, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Christians get persecuted, that's one of the signs. And put you to death, that's one of the signs. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And what happens as a result of that, verse 10, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. I used to profess Christ, that got a little too hot. I decided I'm leaving Christ. They want to turn me in, he's a believer. Oh no, 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 I'm not a believer and I hate you and you're, you're the believer, get him. There's gonna be that, betraying each other, falling away, hating one another down through the age. Read about, read about the, Protestant Catholic wars in England in the Middle Ages and, and the persecution, all the overt persecution and people turning each other in. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased. Now, don't get that wrong. Some people read that part of that verse and say, ah, oh, see, it's going to get worse and worse. It's worse now than it's ever been. It's going to get worse next month. It's going to be worse next year. Oh, the world's getting so bad, Eeyore. No, no, no. Jesus is saying lawlessness will be increased the entire time, and it'll wax, and it'll wane, and it'll wax, and it'll wane. You don't have to wait till then for lawlessness. Is there any lawlessness today? I'm looking at a lawyer when I ask this question. Yeah, you're out of a job, right? You're praying for lawlessness. So they get caught and come to you. Save me. I know you don't even do criminal law. And lawlessness will be increased and look what will happen. Because of that, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many. Remember that happened in the first century, in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation to the church. It, was, it, was it Ephesus? Lukewarm? Laodicea, thank you. It's Laodicea. Because you're neither hot nor cold, I feel like vomiting you out of my mouth. We don't have to wait till the very end, 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 and the Antichrist appears for love to grow cold. It happens all the way down through the age. And persecution can produce that. People who proclaimed Christ but never really had a regenerate soul. People who were only Christianly moral. People who were only professors in word but not in their soul. In times of persecution, they get sifted out of the visible church. They part with Christ. That's too hot for me. I think I'm leaving. And their love to Christ becomes cold. And their love to other believers becomes cold. And this characterizes the age. But... The one who endures to the end. You keep on believing till the day you die. If you live till the second coming, you keep on believing till Christ appears. The one who endures, who doesn't turn his back, who isn't an apostate, the one who remains, the one who continues, will be saved. And there's one more thing in this Olivet Discourse we're going to look at. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Pause there. Did you know that Paul claimed fulfillment of that in Colossians 1 and verse 23 in his day? Listen. 
He says, here's what I want you guys to be, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You don't have to wait for the very end of the end of the end. Paul says, we're doing that right now. We're preaching the gospel everywhere. And we're still preaching the gospel everywhere. So what's the characteristic of the age? Famines, wars, natural disasters, proud, arrogant, boastful, people denying Christ and becoming apostate, people turning each other in and being hateful and mean, people falling away, love for Christ grows cold, the gospel's still being preached everywhere, and he says, then the end will come. So he just gave us his bookmarks from right now till then, here's what you're going to see. So are we in the last age? Are we in the last days? Yes, we are, according to the Bible. And what are some of the characterizations? What are some of the things that characterize this age? I believe I might have a slide on that. Yes, would you go down to what is called a summary, please? Slide person. Thank you. A summary. See if you can find it. It's near the bottom. Summary. So what have we seen? This entire age is the last days. And the characteristics of the last age are the same all the way down through, but things wax and wane and wax and wane and wax and wane. But we're in the last days for sure. Second thing by way of summary, the characteristics of the entire age are gospel preaching, persecution, apostasy, wars, earthquakes, famines, lawlessness, antichrists. Those are all the way down through the whole age. Don't see those in our day and say, oh my gosh, this has never happened before. No, it never happened to you before. But it's happened a lot on the planet and will continue to happen on the planet till Jesus comes back. And third summary point, and near the end of this age, there will be more apostasy and the Antichrist. We didn't get that far today. Next time, Lord willing. But that will come, and then Jesus comes. All right, I got some closing exhortations for you. You ready? You like that word, closing? (sighs) He said closing. Some closing exhortations. One, don't be an Eeyore. I know that temperamentally, some of us are Eeyores. Just as surely as some of us temperamentally are bubbly and happy all the time. So I understand that. But don't be an Eeyore like, I can't believe the world's getting so bad. It's been this bad like all along. It just comes and goes. You're just getting your first good dose of it. And don't be like, things are going to get worse and worse. I don't know how my grandchildren are even going to live on the planet. No, the Bible actually doesn't say things are going to get worse and worse. I hoped to cover that today and we didn't get to that. But these are the characteristics, I'm having trouble with that word, of the entire age. So don't be an Eeyore. In fact, when the apostles teach eschatology in Scripture, they, the Apostle Paul especially to the Thessalonians, ends each section with, therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are not words to turn you into an Eeyore. These are words with which you encourage other believers. Hey, man, here are the characteristics of the age. I know you're going through it right now. Stick with it. Stay with Jesus Christ. He told us it would be this way. No surprise here. 
Don't be alarmed. Don't be an Eeyore. And number two, keep following Jesus. There might be persecution. Man, we have not experienced persecution. There's an, a, a United States organization that studies persecution in the world. And right now they believe that there are 250 million people who live in these countries, I'll name the next time, where there is a great concern that those people are experiencing real fiery persecution. It's still on the planet. It just hasn't been here. We get soft persecution. They get hard persecution. Keep following Jesus. Stay with Jesus Christ. Don't become an antichrist. Yes, bad things happen. Yes, they might persecute you. Yes, they might mock you. You want to be found in Jesus at the last day. Do I have a third one or did I just give you two? There is a third one. Keep growing in personal holiness. Peter says, knowing that these things must be, what manner of persons ought we to be in all godliness, in all holiness? Eschatology is to make you godly and holy. Man, I see what the age is like now. I see what's going on. I want to be like Christ. I'm going to cling to him. I want his word and his spirit to change me. Keep growing in personal holiness. It's a pity that eschatology, the finer points of it, ever became a theoretical battleground for believers to divide upon each other, uh, from each other. No, they're words that we take to encourage each other. Keep growing in personal holiness. And fourth and finally for today, and then we're done, and keep sharing your faith. What happens throughout the age? Gospel preaching. Sowing that good seed in with the bad seed that produces the weeds, but ours produces believers. And they follow Christ and love him and their love doesn't grow cold and they persevere till the last day. Keep sharing your faith, knowing that it's a fearful thing for them to fall into the hands of a living God. So I think there's going to be two more messages. You okay with that? You'll be all right. Okay. Bring some friends next Sunday. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for giving us this time in, in your word. No doubt some people in this room and some people listening online with us are not yet believers they haven't turned to Christ. And I'm praying for them right now. We're praying for them right now. That in this very moment, they would turn their heart to you, knowing what's going on on planet Earth, knowing about the last day, knowing there is judgment ahead. Oh Lord, turn people to yourself. May people in this room right now cry out from their soul, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Forgive me my awful sins, my sins of ignoring you and living my life my way. Forgive me, Lord. I turn to you. Be my master, my savior, my Lord. And Father, strengthen believers for the bad times, that when times of trouble come our way, that we can stand and grow strong in you by your grace. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, before Pastor...